Let's welcome to the show Tom Northcote from uh, Howard Vineyard. Morning, Tom. Morning. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. And um, how are the Adelaide Hills looking this morning? If uh, you got it's sunshine, it's not gardening weather here, unfortunately. Oh. It's pretty dreary. We've got a a pretty mild fog on, and it's um, cold, wet, and windy. So pretty typical Adelaide Hills day, really. Sounds like a typical Melbourne day, Tom. Yeah, yeah, it's usually pretty similar. Yeah, I reckon it sounds like a day that you get a get a Shiraz or something and uh, and light the fire. Yeah, certainly, <laughs> that's about exactly what I was going to do next. Maybe put a roast on or something. I think. Oh. Now you're talking. Good idea. Well, we've been chasing each other for a bit, haven't we, really? Because uh, yeah, mutual friend Alex got one of your wines ranged into into Uncle Dan's, which was the Blanc de Blanc sparkling. And, in fact, I put it on for tasting on Friday night and we sold out in two days at Brighton. So, oh, yeah, but I, I wasn't super aware of the vineyard. So why don't we talk about Howard Vineyard itself first, a little bit of the history, yeah. and then we can delve a bit more into the wines and, and your history as well. Great. Thank you. Yeah. So well, we've been we've been a grape grower for a lot of our journey, I guess. Like a lot of um, you know, sort of newer producers, we've been growing grapes in the hills for 25 years. So right. this year we're actually celebrating our 25th anniversary, and we've got a couple of sort of cool things on around the place. But mm. you're right, we're probably not a we're not a super well known brand, and I think that's that's very much changing. Um, but we've been growing premium grapes for for you know the the, the who's who of the Adelaide Hills for many years now, and I guess. There was a big shift about 10 or 15 years ago. We started moving away from just growing grapes for other people and started, you know, diving into producing grapes for ourselves. So um, my parents, are, are with some other mates, started a business, um, yeah, 20, in 1997 we, we planted. Um, and we were fortunate enough to have two, two different locations across the Adelaide Hills. So we've got um, 36 hectares, which is a sort of a reasonable medium size oh, yeah. um, Adelaide Hills vineyard. And um, that's located just on the edge of uh, Lenswood, just at Charleston there. So um, that's what there, that's where all our sparkling comes from, our Pinot Chardonnay, Gris and Sav Blanc. So that's a, what I'd sort of say, a little bit more of a traditional higher altitude spot yep. uh, in the Adelaide Hills. So, you know, really lean flavours, great for sparkling base and, and um, certainly in the cooler years makes pretty pretty great Chardonnay and Pinot as well. So. Um, and then we're, we're really lucky to have a completely separate site. So we then come back off the hill, back down to Mount Barker, which is sort of a, a major CBD, uh, sorry, ma- major sort of area in the Adelaide Hills. Hmm. Um, there's not a heap of vineyards around there, but Crows have planted a whole bunch of Shiraz vineyards in his sort of original design of the Adelaide Hills when he was planting Chardonnay and Piccadilly. Um, obviously, sort of across the road, Ashton were doing Pinot. Yeah. And then Crozer at the same time was planting a lot of Shiraz in the Mount Barker area. So it's, it's um, I'm sure um, Michael will talk about it later in terms of Shiraz in that area. We're just next to Meadow Hill as well. Right. Um, so in that sort of slightly warmer part of the Adelaide Hills, in that sort of Oak Mount Barker area, the rainfall's a lot lower um, because it comes over the top of the Adelaide Hills and dumps and then yep. it come back down, down to sort of that 400 metre range that really dips off. And so we have a much lower rainfall, even though it's only 20 minutes as the crow flies. Um, a lot drier conditions, obviously, um, and better for things like uh, Shiraz. So we grow Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, a little bit of Shiraz, um, but prim- primarily uh, Shiraz is the, is the key red variety on that vineyard. Yeah. Um, and it's about 400 metres, just below 400 metres in altitude as well. So 
a really different site across the hills and originally that was sort of all set up for um you know viognier for your lumber back in the day uh-huh. and we were growing cabernet franc for fox creek and um all sorts of things and i guess over time we've really changed that story to to be a to be a very producer focused grape grower and um I guess part of it as well as, as, as we've as we've evolved, you've changed varieties that probably suit the hills a little bit more. We had a little bit too much Cabernet planted across both sites and yeah. mm. that's been rotated <clears throat> to Pinot and Chardonnay and Gamay and Riesling and, well, and other Gamay, things. Gamay, now you're talking. So, yeah, yeah, big push on Gamay. And how, long's that, how long's that been in, Tom? Uh, only two years. So mm. that Gamay struggles a little bit to grow in the early days and it might be something to do with, um, you know, Sort of uh, the planting material not being as as high quality as um, you know, like a Shiraz vine, just because we don't have the pedigree in the country yet. But yeah. um, it's it's a big big play in the hills at the moment. There's a fair bit going in the ground, um, and there's, there's quite a few producers backing it in as a as a future variety for the hills. Oh, yeah, it it's... seems to be going in quite a, a lot around. The Yarra Valley's got some. Yeah, well, it's yeah. it's future proofing because you know it takes heat a lot better than Pinot Noir, doesn't it? So, so it, mm. Gamay delivers what Pinot promises. Yeah. <laughs> I always describe it. People go, "What's the difference between Gamay and Pinot?" And I'm like, "You know, when you go to a party and you take your mate there, and he's slightly cooler than you, and everyone wants to talk to him, <laughs> that's Gamay. You know what I mean? So. I don't know what you mean. Oh well, okay. Well, you must. You should go to a party with me then, yeah, you're right. and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and uh, so yeah, no, we've got some exciting stuff coming on coming on board. We've we've started a method traditional program, which is in its third year now. So we'll have a first release of that coming up, and yeah, gamma and pinot and some other things to uh, sorry, gamma and raising and some other new varieties coming through as well. That's fantastic, mate. Um, the uh, and any of the any of our listeners who um, have a question for. Um, for Tom or any of our guests, zero four five six ninety six five ninety six five. Tom, your website is uh, is a cracker, and um, you you do quite a few events, don't you? Sort of in spring summer. Yeah, like definitely. We've, we've music got or... a pretty pretty solid hospitality arm to our business as well, and um, we. So interestingly, we were one of about sort of seven or eight cellar doors when we started out. Um, we opened the cellar door in two thousand and seven, and at that point in the hills, there wasn't a lot of sort of cellar door infrastructure. You sort of had your your S&S and the lane and a couple of others, but it was very much a blossoming sort of hospitality, I guess, region. But I guess like what's what sort of happened in, in Mornington and Yarra, the proximity to the CBD has meant that we're, we're 25 minutes away from the city centre. There's no traffic in South Australia, so you can pretty much get from the airport to our and I can pour you a drink within about 35 minutes. So <laughs> it, it makes it really, really easy for day trippers up from the from the CBD. And like where we are, there's a freeway that exits onto our front front porch, basically. So the hills is becoming a, a, a really strong hospitality region as well. And it's a great feeder for our brand. And I think it's a great it's a great um, introduction into our wines as well. Mm. So we're we sort of um, we have three or four really major festivals a year. The, the Dumpling and Rosé Festival, which we have in January, which is a is a bit of a luxe thing because they're pretty much my two favourite things on earth. That's <laughs> um, pretty good. So we sort of, sort of did it for myself in a way, but it's turned into a beast. And, nice. Um, then the Hills, um, you know, really passionate Adelaide Hillsian as well, and 
um, we've uh, the regions put together some really cracking um, regional events as well. One of which is called Chardonnay May, where we we get a bunch of people over and do a real immersion into what Chardonnay is in the Adelaide Hills. As as um, you know, for, for for the hills people, we believe that's our strongest variety, and um, you know, it certainly values for money. We we punch well above our weight in Chardonnay as well, so. That's one of them. And then we've got Winter Reds Festival, which we've just had as well, which is, you know, it's been running for 15 years in, in South Australia. And, um, you know, we saw something like twelve or 13,000 people into the Adelaide Hills across the weekend. And, um, yeah, we had, a, we had a great time. Um, mm. Lots of food and drinks and lots of dancing. It was excellent. Oh, sounds great. Sound and, and weddings and things you do, obviously. Um, yeah, we're a pretty mixed bag. We do yeah. lots of functions. We do, we do lots of weddings as well. Um, so yeah, last year we got uh, restaurant caterer of the year for weddings as well. So wow, we we do some pretty mean food and um, you know sort of match that with some really um, you know high acid fresh Adelaide Hills wines that just go perfectly with that with sort of a sort of a slight Asian influence in our restaurant. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, you were saying, you know, it's a great introduction to the brand. It, there's nothing better than than drinking someone's wine at their. Uh, their cellar door you know right you just get a sense of place and um you know you bring the bottle back to town and and you can sort of take yourself back there when you eventually open that yeah it's so romantic isn't it yeah totally Mm. um they uh (laughs) sometimes you bring a bottle back and go why did we choose that yeah friday night five o'clock maybe yes yeah we've done that well that's why i started spitting wine (laughs) time it wasn't out of professional courtesy it was (laughs) buying some bad booze in margaret river so Uh, Lord. So, Tom, let's talk a little bit about your history, mate. So, sure. where where yeah. where did you study? Have you been overseas? Where have you done vintage? Yeah, all that sort of stuff. I was, I was pretty fortunate to go through the um, Adelaide Wine Program, which is a you know excellent program as, as many of many Australians do, and um, uh, through the Wake Wake campus there, I finished in 2011 and did a couple of years in the Barossa. So, I worked at Burgie's. Nice. Um, doing a fair bit of their sort of, it was funnily enough, I ended up doing a lot of their whites and sparklings was where I was working there. But um, I tried to pick sort of places that had relevance um, to our vineyards yep. varieties so yep. that I could try and learn about particularly those varieties that, that made a lot of sense when I, when I eventually came home. So that worked out really well because their sparkling program is an absolute monster, as we oh, know. Yeah. Um, and they make some cracking Adelaide Hills wines um, from their from their vineyards on the sort of northern side of the hills as well. So that that ended up it was almost an Adelaide Hills um, vintage, to be honest. Then over to Peter Peter Lehman's for a little bit as well. And um, if anyone knows, I was operating the Poo Wheels for a couple of uh, for 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 a, for a, uh, for a season. So. You might need to explain it. Yeah, so it's the drum press, which is these monster machines which filter sort of the the bottom end pressings um, of of a wine and it sort of filters what would be almost undrinkable back to a fairly drinkable thing again. But it's a very, it's a drum that just rotates basically. So it's it's nicely called the poo wheel because you're sort of turning something not as nice into something nice. (laughs) So... (laughs) So, that, that, but that was good as well because it definitely saw me. It, it showed me a scale, um, yeah, uh, which, wow. which was was very very large, and and it's good to understand that side of the wine industry, yeah, um, as well. So, then I sort of I ran over to France for a little bit and worked in the south of France and 
um, another great experience because it was a lot of rosé production and that's one of our key varieties as well. And um, they made Cabernet Franc Rosé. Oh, yeah. Which is really quite a unique variety for rosé, but it's it's one of our most popular wines now and I, I put a big part of that to the time I spent in, in France. So, And so, Tom, in France, is it Le Pouil or La Pouil? Nah, <laughs> I not see any Pouil over there, okay, actually. Okay, that's good. So that just went down the drain, I think, that yeah, bit. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and then, yeah, over to um, <coughs> Hortons in WA. And, oh, nice. Which was excellent. So I saw some super high-end Chardonnay, which was, which was great, and super high-end Cabernet, and amongst other things, and... Then down to Bay of Fires as well for the for the rest of that season. So, yeah, sort of you know lots of Pinot and then got was fortunate enough to work with the, you know uh, Dredgy and and Ed Carr and oh, yeah. um, some other great winemakers and and lots of lots of um, you know people that were cellar hands at the time that now have wonderful wine brands as well. Um, you know like Ricky Bobby from Two Ton Tassie and there was a stack of other people that were were sort of working there at the time as well. So yeah, cool. that was a real culture of um, you know, winemaking and, and, and learning and, um, you know, learnt a lot, not just about wine there, but also about, um, I think, like management and, and how to work with people and get the best out of people. And, and um, yeah, lots of leadership, I think, came from that vintage as well. I thought that was excellent. What was it like working with Dredgy, Pete Dredge? Yeah, he was great. He, he, was, he was a really, really hard worker. Yeah. Um, really, really open with his time. He was a real fun guy as well. Like, yeah, it looks like a lot anyone, of fun. Anyone that knows Jedi knows he's a good time. And um, But he has a serious side, and that serious side was about making great wine. Yeah. Um, and he was really open, and, and like we often stopped in the middle of vintage, which is not a thing, and we'd do bench trials and bench tastings and barrel trials and barrel tastings. And, yeah. Um, you know, that, that sort of side of it, that's why he would go and work at a place like that. They is for, for, to get to to get knowledge out of those guys, so um, yeah, that was really really excellent. I thought Ed Carl was exactly the same, to be honest. I sort of um, I didn't have a huge amount of time directly with him, but yeah. when you asked him a question, he stopped and he gave you a great answer. So um, you know, I was pretty impressed with with the leadership in many ways mm. at, at the time. Yeah, I did love had, yeah, a few years ago when they were um, nominated when Dredgy was nominated for Winemaker of the Year, and mm. he was on the cover of the magazine, and everyone's got those serious. <laughs> Photos yeah. where they're standing next to a barrel or they're doing a spit or something, and he's he's dressed in drag, yeah, sitting on a chardonnay yeah. barrel or something. I was like, yeah. well, that's yeah, yeah. that does. I don't know the guy, but that does seem to sum him up. But his wines are very serious, aren't they? They are. They're very good wines, and he, he knows a lot about um, Tasmania. But he was he was also um, winemaker at Petaluma for a long time as well. Oh right. So. Oh, so you would have been able to mine the archives, so to speak. Yeah, we were. He knew our wines, um, which was which was interesting because we. Um, we had and have sold a lot of grapes to, to them, Petaluma, over the years as well. So there was a sort of a bit of a connection um, there as well. That was nice, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I, I recall a long time ago before I was in the industry being down in Tasmania at Pooley. I think they were just freshly opened cellar door and they were regaling us with stories about how their best Chardonnay went to Penfolds for Yatana. And I remember thinking just... What what are you doing? Why aren't you using it to make your own Chardonnay? Does it was it was that one of the reasons behind you know having your own brand? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we still sell some pretty high end grapes to other people, yeah. Um, and I guess our journey is to to slowly chip away at that. But um, you can't just switch that on either. You, you know, we've we've got a fair few grapes, and 
even even the A grade grapes we sell, um, it's just too much too bigger volume for us to yep. you know sort of create straight away and, and and go down that path. But certainly each year we chip away and, and slowly increase our production. And um, the Blanc de Blanc actually was one of the one of the wines that that sort of came from that in a way. We, right. We were pretty pretty long in the hair on Chardonnay. And um, we'd always made the product, so to speak, but it was always in a blend with Pinot Noir Chardonnay, which is still our most popular wine, our, our sparkling Pinot Chardonnay. Yeah. But the, the Blanc de Blancs was, you know, we'd obviously be making that Chardonnay component of that wine. And this the particular year in 21, um, which was the first year we made a, a reasonable volume of it, um, was just stunning. Like the fruit was just mm. so crisp and clean and fresh and... You know, it had just Moorish acidity, and it was just a beautiful wine. And we said, "Oh, we've got to, we've got to isolate this on its own." And and since then, only a couple of years later, it's it's our second best-selling wine after oh, the cool. other sparkling. And I suspect in a couple of years, um, it'll be the biggest biggest product we make. So yeah, well, the punters um, loved it, mate, because it's got oh. such drive and freshness to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that crisp apple kind of beginning of it. As you say, the acidity is Moorish. It's not too brusque is the way i describe it so it does make you want another glass definitely and it always comes down to balance particularly particularly with those sort of styles of wine which aren't it's not supposed to be overly complex it's just supposed to be a good drinker yeah you know some fresh fruit up front um really easy on the palate and even with just like a little hint of sweetness just to finish it's not sweet but just to balance that pretty crisp acidity it just needs Mm. that little hint um which is as you said just makes you want to have another glass Yeah. yeah I love a Blanc de Blanc. Oh, yeah. and I mean, there's lots of different styles of all sorts. I think sparkling wine is probably the least understood category, I reckon, for a lot of punters because they, they confuse dry with acidity and the amount of, you know, the dosage and the toastiness and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. the best way, just let's just open it, get Ooh. it in front of you and... and, and and, and rate it on do you want another glass of it? Exactly. Well, yeah. that's, that's the like rating it. you want, isn't really? it? Do you want another Yum. glass? Can you afford it? <laughs> you know? So... That's the way I rate wine, anyway. Um, it sounds sounds unreal, um, Tom. Uh, if we want to come and visit, uh, your cellar doors open from eleven Monday to Friday and ten fr- on the weekends. That's it. Yeah, seven days. Food seven days as well. So we've got our um, sort of Korean influenced restaurant open seven days, but you can also come up and just have a cheese platter or um, you know some lighter meals as well. Tastings. Tastings all the time, and yeah, beautiful big lawns in the summer, and nice warm fires in winter. Nice. Oh, I heard from one of my customers the view's not too bad either. Yeah, the view's good. We're, we're literally in the vineyard, so you sort of you look back into the vineyard, and or you look forward onto our beautiful big lawns, and there's always lots of kids running around kicking balls and having fun. We're very family friendly as well, um, but yeah, we do have that more serious aspect of our of our um, restaurant as well. Um, and so with the events that you do, uh, I'm presuming there's a newsletter that people can sign up to? Yeah, best thing is just jump on the website and, and jump onto our uh, mailing list or one of the socials is the Facebook. Um, we're pretty active on everything. Yep. So it's Howard Vineyard in the uh, Adelaide Hills. What's the yep. actual web address, just so I don't get that wrong? Uh, www.howardvineyard.com. Beauty. Um, Tom, thank you. It's been a pleasure having a chat yeah, and fantastic getting great we finally made it happen buddy yeah thanks so much and thanks for all your support as well it means a lot and i'm um, sorry it's taken so long no <laughs> all good mate keep pulling out the good juice and we'll keep supporting it love it thank you so much <laughs> right thank, you, thank you tom Ciao. see you Bye.